Welcome to The Paleo View. I'm bestselling author and co-creator of realeverything.com, Stacey Toth. I focus on being healthy inside and out through real life, food, and talk. I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, New York Times bestselling author and creator of thepaleomom.com. I'm passionate about improving scientific literacy around public health topics. I like hashtags and bone broth. And I'm just a super nerd. Welcome back to the Paleo View. Hi, Sarah. Hi, listeners. Hello. I don't know why I just said that in such a dorky way. I know why you did, because we have just been chatting, and there's some insane (laughs) bloopers at the end of the podcast. I mean, I'm assuming that Matt will just pick and choose a couple of his favorite and not actually put five minutes of bloopers at the end of the podcast. It's going to be one of those interesting shows. Um, I can always tell when we're chatting and... There's like giggles and laughter and weirdness before we start. I'm like, okay, (laughs) (laughs) I know how this is going to go. And who, like, which one of us is in the like punchy mood tonight? I don't even know which one of us it is. Is it me? I think it's you. I don't know that I would call what I'm in punchy. I think what I'm in is delirious um, because I literally just walked in the door from work five minutes before we started recording. So I'm a little like So you're like offloading, you're offloading the workday on the podcast. Yep, for sure. That's that's a whole that's a whole different dynamic than than normal. Uh, Or I guess it's like a seasonal dynamic because every time you get to the end of the fiscal year it's like that. Yeah. Yes, yes. (sighs) Well Well. (laughs) (laughs) this is gonna get worse, friends. I was going to ask, how are you in general? I'm good. Thank you. Um, I don't know that I really have anything to report. How about yourself? I have just been nose to the grindstone. So I am really, really, really trying to wrap up uh, the new book. Um, there's still... No tentative release date. There's nothing for available for pre-orders, everyone, but I am working on another book. Um, I think it's like, I think like in the next few weeks, it, the draft will look something like a book right now. It's, it's fairly jumbled, but it's, it's just starting to like all of a sudden come together. So I'm, uh, it, it'll be either like late this year, or early next year, sort of the timing, um, Because it's not going to weigh six and a half pounds, this one. It's going to be, it's going to be like two pounds or something amazingly light. And, um, and I'm, I'm excited about it. It's a, it's a microbiome book and I have been, uh, stuffing my brain full of new information and fun facts so I can geek out about gut bacteria. But, uh, it's been, it's been a really, it's been a, it's, it's been a really steep learning curve for me to write because it's, um, a lot of just, you know, like bacterial taxonomy is not something that I ever learned before. And I've had to learn it in order to write about it. So it's, it's really, 
Um, it's really been fun just because the research has really expanded my knowledge base and I've learned some like really cool things. Um, but it's also um, been because of that uh, that amount of research that's had to go into the writing. It's also been like a serious project. And um, I actually started this book about three years ago before The Healing Kitchen and before Paleo Principles. So seeing the light at the end of the tunnel is really nice. But yeah, it's basically just keep swimming, swimming. That's it's pretty much, but it's book writing. Just keep book writing. It doesn't have the same ring. No. No. So that's me. Well, I'm excited about this week's topic. But before we jump in, we're doing something a little new. So... We did this thing for a little while where we read reviewer comments and feedback, and we have a folder of things that we've pulled in, but all I see here from you are like 87 pages of scientific references. I don't see a customer reviewer comment, but what I do have that's new is for our listeners, we're going to try to start working with brands that you and I already like or use or work with or whatever for all all of the above actually yeah for our listeners to benefit from both learning about them as well as occasionally if we can getting them a discount and so I'm excited that the first time we're kicking this off is with one of both of our favorite products I don't know how many times we've mentioned vital proteins on the podcast not because either one of us (laughs) like even got anything out of if you go to vitalproteins.com and you buy something like Sarah and I don't benefit at all. Um, So what we've done is set up a vitalproteins.com slash the paleo view link. And when you go to that site, there's our favorite products and they're slightly discounted. Right, Sarah? They are. And we've got a couple couple bundles of some of our favorite pairings of products. So you can uh, start there on your your awesome vital protein shopping, um, which is handy because our topic this week is all about collagen. And I know that we're both uh, – I mean, uh, I've been using vital proteins, collagen, etc. I've got, I think – five, five vital proteins products in my house at all times. Um, but I've, I've been using their collagen like way back when they just had collagen peptides and gelatin, like way back when yeah. they only had two products. Yeah. Me so too. four, I, five years, long time. I remember I originally wrote like this big post all about it because the community had been using a different brand I remember because you did the whole amino acid comparison. And I I did a scientific write-up on why (laughs) our family had switched to vital proteins. And I did a lot of research before making that decision because it was less cost effective for my audience. And I wanted them to understand why. So um, nowadays, I think it's well understood and you know, Vital Proteins does such a good job of education that we don't need to do as much about their brand to do that. But like you said, for me, I don't go a single day without taking liver pills and collagen. And I also love the veggie blend. So those are my three favorite products. Um, But I, I, if I do not have collagen and liver pills, I feel it. Um, So 
I sincerely, sincerely, personally use those products and love them. But which is why I'm excited for our I go through one of the big tubs of collagen peptides by myself every month. Um, Two to three scoops a day. And um, I definitely notice, um, especially in my joints, if I don't, mm-hmm. if I don't consume it. Um, and I also huge fan of the liver pills. Obviously, I'm kind of a fan of Dr. Sarah Ballantyne's <laughs> collagen veggie blend, seeing how my name's on the bottle. Um, but I, the other ones that I really like is the, um, the uh, cartilage collagen, the, yeah. the capsules. Um, Which because- we've talked about here on this podcast, we specifically talked about why those capsules are better back on a back Way back. podcast, Matt can link it yeah. in the show notes. Yeah. Um, and I also use their gelatin in cooking. So, um, you know, if it's, if it's, I think of the peptides as more of a, I just love it in tea and coffee. It's actually, to me, it, it enhances the texture. Yes. Now when I have tea or coffee without collagen, I'm like, what's wrong with this? Right. <laughs> the texture's yeah. off. It's, it's not right. <laughs> like I've, I've, I get, I keep um, packets of collagen peptides in my purse just in case I'm out with a friend and we get coffee or something like that because even if I get like a really fancy almond milk latte at you know whatever coffee shop it's still not right without collagen peptides so I now keep one in my purse for you know just in case I'm drinking a hot beverage that is a need of some peptides to make it right I don't do a good enough job of using the gelatin, like when we do, the kids and I love gummies in particular, whether we make them with kombucha or, you know, have you ever considered making collagen veggie blend, mixing it with some fruit, and then adding gelatin to make gummies? I'm feeling like this needs to be a recipe. <laughs> so actually, and I can't remember which AIP blogger did that, but I have seen one of the AIP bloggers do it. Then you're um, doubling down on collagen and gelatin. Which would be amazing. And with the new formula of collagen veggie blend that has, it has a very carrot juice flavor now, it would be like super, super easy to mix it with other flavors. I've done like popsicles with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's such, it, the flavor like just, it blends into other fruits now, you know, it just kind of hides much more easily. So yeah, I bet that'd be good. Okay. Well, I just want to remind people, we've gone off on our tangent. We're going to talk about why we love collagen and the science of it in the show. But in particular, you and I both love and use vital proteins. So now listeners, we have finally gotten to be able to hook you up vitalproteins.com slash the paleo view no spaces no weirdness just the paleo view and it'll take you to our favorite products bundled together at a discount boom drop the mic do we even need the rest of the show i mean i guess we might as well since we're here (laughs) well also cindy lovely cindy has asked a question why don't you tell us what it is So Cindy asks, hi, ladies, thank you for your amazing podcast and all the wonderful information that both of you share. You both have inspired and motivated me to focus on real foods and look at healing through lifestyle and nutrient density. 
Here's the question. With Sarah's new Vital Proteins product, Collagen Veggie Blend, I'm curious about reactions to collagen. I have noticed that I can have half to one whole scoop of Vital Proteins collagen in my coffee or smoothie or water and feel fine. However, if I go over one scoop, I get that bloated, gassy, sometimes everybody out moments. Everyone talks about all the benefits of adding collagen to their diet. (laughs) I just want to state for the record that I'm like standing here with a heart for Sydney because <laughs> she just quoted me in a way that I, I, I heart you, Cindy. That's all. I'm going to, I heart you so much that I interrupted Sarah to tell you that I love that you use my phrase. <laughs> I, 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 when I read that, I, I, I kind of expected you to also love it. So. Uh, to continue Cindy's question, everyone talks about the benefits of adding collagen to their diet, but I can't seem to find a good explanation for those of us who seem to react to it. Can you discuss why some of us may be reacting to collagen? Is bone broth enough to get all the benefits of adding collagen? Thanks so much for all you do. So I thought with Cindy's question, I kind of wanted to take a step back, you know, especially because Stacey and I have already talked about how much we love vital proteins, collagen-based products, about just what collagen is and why it is, you know, so important and such an amazing sort of boon to even all of the amazing dietary choices that we're making. So Collagen itself is a protein. It is the main structural protein in our bodies. It is found in the space between all of our cells. So it's sort of the glue that holds all of our cells together. It is the main protein in bone, in cartilage. It's important in tendons and ligaments, in uh, any kind of connective tissue. So anything that connects something to something beside it. Uh, So it's also important in things like blood vessels, in the heart, in gut tissues, in our teeth. Um, We have a lot of collagen even in our muscle. It's actually the most abundant protein in not just humans, but all mammals. It actually makes up about 25 to 35% of all of the protein in our bodies. So one of the reasons why supplementing with collagen is so helpful is because it provides us with the raw materials to make collagen in our bodies. And one of the reasons why that's important is because collagen is made up of amino acids that we can be deficient in if the main source of protein in our bodies is muscle meat. So collagen has a a fairly... Um, a, a, a fairly unique balance of amino acids compared to, to muscles. So the reason why consuming collagen is good is it provides us with those raw materials. Um, there's two different sort of products that are available out there that are sort of supplements with collagen, collagen peptides or gelatin. And they're both uh, considered hydrolyzed versions of collagen protein. So they're both broken apart versions. Otherwise, you would just be like gnawing on a joint tissue. So, you know, another way to get collagen is to do things like eat, you know, chicken wings or pig's feet where the the joint tissue is, is softened enough to be able to chew. Gelatin and collagen peptides breaks it apart a little bit more so that it's easier for us to, you know, we don't have to chew it and it's easier to digest. So uh, gelatin... Uh, obviously has some different properties than collagen peptides. So it, you know, when you dissolve it into a hot liquid and then you let it set, it makes, you know, 
gelatinous jello, right? Or, or gummies, depending on the concentration with the liquid. Um, when it is broken up, you know, these long collagen proteins, when they're broken up into even smaller pieces, that's collagen peptides. And collagen peptides dissolve uh, you know, pretty easily into hot or cold liquids. They don't have that chemistry of uh, solidifying uh, once they've been dissolved and then chilled. And um, but the important thing here is that the amino acid profiles are the same. So so gelatin and collagen peptides are both just slightly broken up versions of collagen. Uh, so they just react differently in in food chemistry. Um, but other than that, they're providing us with the same protein. Now, collagen is considered a complete protein uh, almost. There's one amino acid that it, it doesn't quite have enough of to, to – to be an awesome protein for our bodies, but it is particularly rich in amino acids that we uh, often do not consume enough of to meet our body's demands from our diet, glycine being the most important one of these. So 20% of the protein in collagen is glycine by weight, and glycine is phenomenally important. It um, has a a number of, of beneficial roles in the body on top of being uh, something that we tend to not get enough of from other foods, but that is a important the, and the most abundant amino acid in collagen. It also can help improve sleep quality, enhance memory. It regulates the production of bile acids, and it is very, very important in the synthesis of some extremely important proteins. It can help uh, reverse uh, age-related damage to skin cells. Uh, it can also help... Uh, to um, drive collagen production, and uh, it has a variety of also anti-inflammatory effects. So uh, glycine is incredibly important. It it acts as an antioxidant. Um, It actually may be critical for immune regulation. So supplementing with glycine for anybody with chronic illness or autoimmune disease can actually help the immune system function better. What? Right, because Shocker. because it's so important in uh, in immune health, and there's a whole pile of studies that look at glycine supplementation, showing that it can, uh, for example, decrease um, just supplementing with glycine. So that's basically taking a, a collagen peptide supplement, which is mostly glycine, uh, decreases uh, metabolic disorders in people with cardiovascular disease. It is known to reduce various inflammatory diseases, including uh, diseases that happen in critical care uh, wards like sepsis. It uh, <laughs> Supplementing with glycine can prevent organ transplant f- failure, like how like mind-blowing is that? Uh, it's preventative for arthritis and can actually improve arthritis uh, symptoms. It reduces stomach ulcers. It um, has been shown uh, in various models of gut injury um, in scientific literature to be protective against gut injury. It improves liver health. Uh, it's been known to uh, inhu- inhibit uh, tumor growth in some animal models of cancer. It uh, potentially can restore insulin sensitivity and improve diabetes. It uh, has been shown to increase weight loss in obese people, and it has been shown to improve vascular health. So those are all of the effects that have been shown in scientific studies that supplementation with glycine 
has. Um, I mean, just phenomenally um, amazing. So um, glycine is the dominant reason why we want to be consuming collagen, but there's some other really cool amino acids in collagen as well. So there's also glutamic acid, uh, which is a very, very important um, amino acid neurotransmitter. Um, and it's actually uh, a really key com um, compound in just cellular metabolism. So uh, glutamic acid is really important. Uh, collagen is also high in proline and oh, wait, a... You didn't mention the most like exciting thing about this. I'm reading the scientific notes here. I'm doing <laughs> all of our listeners a solid and making sure you don't skip anything interesting. Uh, glutamic acid is also an amino acid found in a bunch of different foods that gives umami flavor to foods. So it's also why mushrooms, olives, tomatoes, uh, fish sauce... Um, why those provide an umami flavor. And it may be why you and I think that coffee and tea doesn't taste right without our collagen peptides. Like the word that I use, and I am not, I feel like this word is too sophisticated for me, but I like it anyway. I tell people all the time that collagen adds an unctuous feel to the <laughs> liquid. And now wow. I feel substantiated in this hoity-toity word that I've been using. I mean, that's a $5 word right there. <laughs> $5 word. I don't even know what that means. Okay, back to the science. <laughs> uh, so collagen is also really high in proline and uh, hydroxyproline. Hydroxyproline is uh, an amino acid that's not one of the 20 that we use to build our proteins. Uh, so it's basically a... Um, variation of proline that is hydroxylated with vitamin C. So basically it's an amino acid in collagen that our body basically can use in uh, modifications of collagen after collagen is being built. So uh, these are also very interestingly, proline um, is the amino acid that makes grains uh, really, really hard. The protein in grains really, really hard to digest. Um, but it's something that we still need. So our best sources are actually animal sources and collagen is a really, really fantastic source. 11% of the protein in collagen is proline and hydroxyproline each. So that's about 22% of the um, protein in collagen coming from proline or this variation of proline. And it's... Uh, absolutely essential for maintaining healthy skin, joints, tendons, and cardiac health. Um, alanine is uh, about 8% of collagen, and it is uh, really, really important for immune health and also for uh, muscle, lean muscle mass, uh, exercise capacity. So it's really, really important for muscular health. Uh, arginine is also about 8% of collagen it's essential for immune function. It helps promote wound healing, uh, cell division. Um, it also has some in uh, the endocrine system, so it's important for hormone release. Very, very important amino acid. Uh, aspartic acid is about 6% uh, by weight of collagen, and it is involved in the uh, Krebs cycle in cells. So that's how we make ATP or the, the energy currency of all cells. Um, and so it's very, very important also in the urea cycle for producing uh, 
Uh, it's important for producing uh, glucose, so gluconeogenesis, and it's also uh, an important neurotransmitter. So uh, aspartic acid is also another super, super important amino acid. So all of these amino acids are very, very rich in collagen. All of the other amino acids make up about 24% of, of collagen. So we've got this this handful, uh, glycine proline being the, the most dominant, but then also glutamic acid, alanine, arginine, and aspartic acid. Um, and they all are amino acids that um, we can be deficient in if we overly focus on, uh, you know, chicken breast and steak as our as our protein sources. So they're they're phenomenally important, and collagen provides all of them. So it becomes um, really uh, about supporting our health through nutrient density is really what collagen peptides boil down to because it our diets tend to be deficient with our modern food supply. Now, part of the question was, can bone broth be a good substitute? Um, bone broth is just not as concentrated. So if you think about, um, you know, throwing a scoop of gelatin into a you know, cup of water and how solid that gets uh, when you refrigerate it compared to how solid your bone broth gets when you refrigerate it. That's a really good sort of, you know, comparison of the amount of uh, collagen that's in broth. So when broth is really, really rich in collagen, you've used uh, chicken feet or, or pig's feet to make it. Uh, so you've got a lot of that joint tissue, a lot of collagen to dissolve into the broth. The broth will be very gelatinous when it's cooled. Most of us will use a lot of other bones. That helps with uh, flavor and the mineral profile of the broth. It doesn't necessarily add to the collagen content of the broth. So, so broth is an amazing superfood. It is absolutely the collagen content uh, combined with the mineral content in broth that makes it such a great food. Um, collagen peptides is much more concentrated, so it's a lot easier to get substantial amounts of protein in uh, a much more sort of convenient package and and certainly a smaller dose. So I know we've talked about all the things that it does has. Have one of the things that I like to point out to people is that it is not a complete protein. Mm -hmm. um, do you maybe want to talk about that a little bit? So uh, the term complete protein, I, let's take a step back. There's 20 amino acids that our bodies use to make all of the proteins in our body. And we have to get those amino acids from foods. There's some that we can uh, create so we can convert one amino acid into another. Usually those processes are inefficient. So it is always better for our health to get all 20 amino acids from food. But there are nine amino acids that we cannot there's no conversion. There's no process that we can create. And those nine amino acids are considered the essential amino acids. So collagen has eight out of those nine. It's, um, it has very, very little tryptophan. So tryptophan is the essential amino acid that it's missing. Um, and it's also not super high in isoleucine, threonine, or methionine. So it's, it isn't considered a complete protein because it's missing uh, you know, it doesn't have enough tryptophan and tryptophan doesn't meet the, the levels of the other amino acids. Um, so it, I always think the, the term complete protein is kind of misleading because uh, it really is only looking at 
um, having substantial amounts of those nine amino acids when really we need all 20. Uh, to me, the word complete, wouldn't that mean all 20? It doesn't. Um, but it, it really, so it really is a protein that is very, very heavily skewed towards these amino acids that I've just talked about. Um, and not, it doesn't have substantial amounts of the other amino acids. So in terms of, um, you know, if it's the only protein at a meal, that meal would have the um, strong likelihood of being deficient in at least one amino acid. So it's much better to think of collagen peptides as a supplement, right? Just like just you would think of uh, broth as the base for a soup and you would have some kind of other protein in that soup. Um, even if it's like super old school and it's just, right, you're boiling the chicken carcass and then you're taking the meat off of that carcass to be the meat in the soup, you know, that's still adding the other amino acids. Um, so it's definitely... It's definitely not a, a standalone protein, but that doesn't take away from the health benefits. So collagen peptides, not only are they particularly rich in these amino acids that are super, super important for our health that we can be deficient in relatively easily, even when we're making really, really good food choices, but studies show that... Uh, those amino acids are highly bioavailable. So about 90% of the amino acids in collagen peptides are digested and absorbed within six hours. Uh, compared that to meat, which might take closer to 12 hours. So it is um, it is extremely useful protein. And studies actually show that the amino acids in collagen peptide supplements are actually incorporated into our tissues very, very quickly. So they actually are getting into our cartilage. They're actually getting into our skin. They're actually increasing the collagen formation uh, and actually protecting our joint tissues. They're actually, uh, it even increases uh, bone density, although not all of the studies looking at collagen supplementation and bone density show benefits. Some some show that it doesn't have any effect. But um, it, it really is, like super usable by the body. Yeah. So I think what's interesting to me is a, I've kind of used that term pre-digested and said it, things become more bioavailable is the scientific term. Fine. Um, more <laughs> easily digestible and usable by your body. If it's already been broken down by either a cooking process or something else. So I think that's kind of, you know, my layman's approach as to why collagen peptides and gelatin are so helpful, especially for someone like myself that has joint pain or autoimmune issues or whatever it might be, why it's so incredibly powerful. And I love that you found scientific studies to show that that's the case because I never for a minute questioned it, but I always do like science <laughs> to back things up. Um, but the reason that I brought up the not a complete, I called it not a complete protein, but what I meant was you can't get the essential proteins that you need by only consuming collagen. Um, and the reason that I mentioned that is because as someone who was a vegetarian for a long time, I do get a lot of questions from people who are either coming in or out of um, 
vegetarianism, veganism, and the idea of a powder is more palatable for people than, you know, choosing to eat, for example, a chicken breast. I get that. And certainly it's a wonderful starting point. It's especially going to be great for helping your body learn to digest protein because it isn't this type of protein isn't something that your body has been processing for a long time. So I highly suggest adding it. It's a, it's a great starting point for transition. Um, so if you know someone who is a vegetarian and who is looking for, you know, more energy and all that kind of stuff, for example, the liver pills with the B12 is a phenomenal, um, item for someone coming out of vegetarianism. However, I do try to ensure that people know that they can't sustain themselves long-term off of collagen alone. So, um, and the soup example that you gave is such a good one because it's really how our ancestors would have gotten these items before. Mm. And we're just not making traditional foods like that. You know, is it necessary to have this as a supplement? No, but we're not consuming the high quality organ meat and we're not doing the slow cooking process um, as much. I mean, even myself as someone who loves soup, um, I, we just, in the, especially in the summertime, like we're not consuming it as much. I am definitely a soup in winter person. Like I, I just, I, I start to gravitate towards more, um, just like salads, right? Like more cold dishes in the summer. Like maybe it's a, a you know, it's a cooked hot meat, but it's like my sides all become cold, you know, different salads in the, in the summer. And something about that hot, it just makes me too hot. That's what it is. It makes me sweat. I don't, that's, that's the problem with soup in the summer. It just also kind of feels, not kind of feels, it makes your house warmer to cook it. And, you know, mm-hmm. you're already trying to blast the AC and all that kind of stuff. So we do, of course, make, you know, stuff and then we freeze it. So we have um, broth that we can get into during the year. But we're, I mean, in the wintertime, we kind of have broth going like all the time. And then we get to the summer and I put an item on the um, meal plan list this week. And Matt was like, oh, I got to make broth for that. <laughs> 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 so with that said, um, I personally find it incredibly helpful. But um, there are people who have issues with collagen and gelatin. And this has been an interesting topic for me because it's a question I get pretty frequently having supported the, my love of collagen and gelatin. I mean, people brought it to us on book tour, right? They like brought me (laughs) broth on book tour, um, knowing how much I loved it. And when people ask me, you know, it doesn't sit well with me or, you know, I have this issue. Um, I'm just kind of guessing and, you know, grabbing at things in the dark. And so I am looking forward to your explanation of why, given how wonderful this is for so many different reasons, what would cause a reaction? And is there anything people can do about it? Yeah, so there's actually three different ways that our bodies can react to collagen, uh, whether that's the gelatin or collagen peptides. And they look a little bit different and the timing is a little bit different. So I want to kind of go through all three. Um, So let's start with allergy because uh, an allergy to to beef, right? Collagen peptides are typically beef derived. Um, An allergy to beef means that a... uh, 
small section of at least one protein in beef is triggering an immune response where the immune uh, B cells are producing antibodies that bind to that one little little section of that one protein. So antibodies bind to a, a segment of a protein that's between 15 and 20 amino acids long. So even in collagen peptides that are broken apart into very small little chains of, of amino acids, there's long enough chains in there to bind with an antibody. So uh, allergies to beef can still be experienced with uh, beef-derived collagen peptides because of that fact. Now, some people with beef allergies don't have any response to collagen peptides, and that has to do with the details of exactly what antibodies their body is making. So if they're making antibodies that recognize a section of beef that's that's not uh, a, a, not a protein that's repeated you know, not in collagen, then they'll be fine with the collagen peptides. Uh, but a lot of people will find that those antibodies will still recognize collagen peptides. So symptoms of allergy, they tend to be very fast within a couple of minutes to about two hours after consuming the product. So if the reaction is happening later than that, it is almost certainly a different type of reaction. It typically involves uh, a hives or skin rash. Uh, it can involve the whole range of GI symptoms, nausea, stomach cramps, indigestion, vomiting, diarrhea, or everybody out moments. Um, all of the things that we sort of associate with seasonal allergies, like a stuffy runny nose, sneezing, headaches, it can trigger asthma-like symptoms. And of course, the exaggerated life-threatening version of this is anaphylaxis. So if the symptoms look like, right, that's a histamine-driven reaction because that's what IgE antibodies do is they stimulate histamine release from mast cells and basal cells. So that is one possible reaction is it's actually a beef allergy. And in somebody who is experiencing that reaction to uh, collagen peptides, you would expect that reaction to also occur with beef broth or with uh, beef product consumption. Uh, food intolerance. Hey, Sarah. Yeah. Did you run across like what percentage of people that happens to or um, from a histamine perspective, and I don't want to get into a histamine show, but is it the type of histamine response that someone could do a histamine focused diet like the FODMAP diet to help themselves heal and not have that reaction? No, this would be a true allergy. Allergies have a very, very long memory in the body um, and very, very small amounts of exposure can perpetuate that memory. So allergies are not likely to go away with food avoidance. They can, you know, there are mechanisms by which it, it can eventually go away, but they're much, much less likely. So this isn't like a histamine reaction uh, in the sense of like histamine intolerance. It's a histamine reaction in the sense of that's why you take antihistamines when you're having an allergic reaction. So because it's driven by IgE antibody production, um, unfortunately, the the immune system memory for that is, is very, very long and it is unlikely to go away. So really the only um, the only solution is avoidance. Now that does impact a very, very small percentage of people, allergies to beef. Um, so if you think about like top eight allergens, um, those are foods that might impact between 
uh, say, a tenth of a percent of the population, up to about 2% of the population, uh, allergies to other foods are much, much smaller percentages of the population. So um, it's it's not likely to be common. And you would know because it would show up on an allergy test. So you can go to an, an allergist and do a, um, you know, skin test or a blood test for antibodies to beef and those IgE antibodies would show up or you would have a skin reaction uh, after doing a, a skin test for allergies. So that if that's the reaction that's going on, the only solution is is avoidance. So it's not actually driven by the same mechanisms that drive histamine intolerance. Food intolerance, which is a different kind of antibody, the memory for that is much shorter. So an IgG or IgA uh, reaction as opposed to IgE, which is it's just different types of antibodies, um, but it's different cells that produce those different types of antibodies. And the memory is much, much shorter for food intolerance. So if it's a food intolerance, that's where avoidance, typically for at least six months and up to a couple of years, um, can make that uh, intolerance disappear. Uh, food intolerance reactions are a slower build, so they typically occur between four hours and four days after consuming the food. It's one of the reasons why um, you know, identifying them can be so tricky because even with a food journal, if you're trying to figure out what you ate four days before that's triggering today's reaction can be really, really tricky. Um, but it can involve all of those GI symptoms, stomach pain, stomach cramps, bloating, gas, um, diarrhea. It can also have uh, sort of full body symptoms, especially fatigue, headaches, mood issues, and basically any kind of skin issue, but rashes are sort of the most common. So that is also antibody driven. It's also um, an immune reaction. It does not involve the release of histamine the same way an IgE reaction does. Um, but it does involve sort of it, symptoms of uh, an inflammatory response. Um, and eliminating the food, working on gut health, working on immune regulation um, can often um, make those food intolerances uh, eventually either diminish or go away completely. The last possibility for reacting to collagen, though, I actually think is the most interesting and probably the most common. And that is the fact that uh, our gut bacteria uh, love to eat amino acids, which, fun fact, I learned writing my new book. Um, so it turns out gut bacteria eat more than just fiber. So they'll actually eat just about anything that's there. They'll eat uh, fats, they'll eat proteins, they'll eat non-fiber carbohydrates. Um, they'll actually even, you know, some bacteria will ferment, say, fiber into, uh, you know, various metabolites like short-chain fatty acids. And then there's other bacteria that will eat those metabolites. So it's one of the reasons why we have uh, keystone species of bacteria. Other bacteria eat what they make from what we eat. Um, so it's, it's a really, really dynamic ecosystem. But we have a whole pile of really, really important, um, you know, normal probiotic residents of the gut that love to eat glycine. This includes lactobacillus, which is, uh, you know, found in fermented foods, found in 
um, fermented dairy, especially. It's one of the first residents of a um, of our gut microbiomes after we're born. Uh, bacillus, which are soil-based organisms, which are uh, not—they're not—they're considered foundational species. So they're so important in our gut bacteria and our gut microbiomes that they actually create an environment that supports the growth of other really important species. Uh, Clostridium, which is a really really important uh, family of probiotics. Uh, also, Streptococcus—that sounds like strep throat. It's a related bacteria. But we do have some probiotic species um, and proteobacteria. All of those can uh, metabolize glycine. And when they do, they produce a variety of really, really uh, beneficial metabolites that our bodies can use. So they can produce uh, short-chain fatty acids, um, which uh, improve the health of all of our cells lining the gut. They can produce uh, what are called branch-chain fatty acids. Um, again, these are super important, beneficial um, metabolites that uh, can uh, it make the make our guts healthier. So it it reverses leaky gut. It um, improves the health of our immune system. Um, there's a whole pile of studies showing that, for example, a lot of butyrate, which is a short chain fatty acid, is really important for reversing diabetes and losing weight and reducing cardiovascular disease risk. And so these are really, really important metabolites. And actually, um, this uh, consumption of glycine by our gut bacteria may actually be required for the synthesis of glutathione, which is our body's dominant antioxidant enzyme. So you actually may require your gut bacteria to first metabolize glycine in order for that glycine to be incorporated into glutathione, which is just an amazing, like yet another reason why we are so dependent on our gut bacteria for health. So we actually have a whole pile of different types of gut bacteria, normal healthy gut bacteria that uh, eat glycine and actually eat other uh, amino acids. So the same, you know, the same uh, bacteria also like to eat uh, glutamic acid. Um, they also like to eat aspartic acid. <laughs> so they're they're also eating some of the other amino acids that are components of um, of collagen. So if there's an imbalance of bacteria, and if there are too many even of these probiotic strains higher up the small intestine than ideal, because normally these would be residents of the large intestine, but uh, at dominant anyways, uh, we certainly have some in the small intestine, but a much typically a much lower concentration. So if there's some kind of gut dysbiosis, which means wrong kinds of bacteria or the wrong locations or the wrong numbers, as they uh, uh, convert glycine into other products, one of the things that that the byproducts, right, uh, short chain fatty acids, uh, pretty dramatically increases the acidity uh, of the small and large intestine wherever it's, wherever that fermentation is happening. Um, gases are produced, and um, just like a large uh, amount of any kind of fermentable fiber will cause 
um, gas because of the, the that fermentation, right? Gas production. It will cause. Uh, it will sometimes cause looser stools because of the um, production of of some of these compounds. Um, if there's some kind of gut dysbiosis, that can be magnified. So um, if somebody is having especially GI symptoms, it just could be a sign that there's some imbalance in gut bacteria. And in that case, you don't leave it out completely. You just um, you just do exactly what Cindy has already discovered of keep the dose below symptoms. The symptoms would be typically... Uh, GI, so abdominal pain, bloating, indigestion, diarrhea, excess gas, flatulence. And depending on uh, where that gut dysbiosis is occurring, so the farther down the GI tract it is, typically the longer it is after consuming something before you have symptoms. So if it's fairly high up, you could have symptoms within an hour. If it's fairly low down, you're looking at symptoms at about 24 hours. Um, But what that really does is it indicates the need to uh, address diet and lifestyle factors that are important for gut microbiome health. So eating a lot of vegetables, a variety of starchy and non-starchy vegetables, consuming a lot of seafood because omega-3 fats are really important, addressing vitamin D deficiency, because it turns out that vitamin D deficiency det- uh, will skew the microbiome towards less favorable strains. Living an active lifestyle is really important. Getting enough sleep is really important and managing stress. So, like Those are really the fundamental keys to a healthy gut microbiome. And then you can, you know, once those things are addressed, you should be able to gradually up the intake and not trigger symptoms. It's interesting, you know, SIBO was a hot topic within the community. Um, I feel like maybe was that two or three years ago. Um, Mm -hmm. And there was an outpouring of recipe of sweet recipes that included sugar substitutes. And I love the way you described it, uh, because that is more nutrient dense and healing approach. Um, But the other thing that I didn't hear you mention is that the the more sugars you're consuming and it's fructose as well correct me if i'm wrong mm-hmm. is going to feed the those bacteria that are causing the the dysbiosis so at least until it's under control for whatever that looks like for you and definitely working with a medical practitioner is the best way to go there for true testing um will yeah, and help actually, it as well um all sugar substitutes uh, are generally known to skew the microbiome in unfavorable ways. Um, there's actually a new paper looking at stevia that shows that it can do some unfavorable things to the gut bacteria. Um, but all of the sugar alcohols, um, all of the you know chemical sweeteners, which obviously I, I'm sort of assuming our listeners aren't going to be consuming aspartame here, but all of those things can skew. What's really fascinating is honey – can actually have a corrective influence on gut bacteria. So this is like a new thing that I've just learned in the last couple of weeks. And um, and so there's a few, uh, you know, obviously high vegetable um, consumption is, is top, but um, honey is one of those things that if you are going to consume something sweet, obviously you want to be mindful of things like blood sugar regulation. Um, but that is probably the best sugar choice from a, a gut bacteria perspective. Makes sense. I know the ones that you and I try to use the most in our recipes are the natural sources that you could find yourself honey, um, 
maple syrup. And then the other option is molasses, which has its own set of wonderfulness. But it's not to say add sweeteners to things. I was actually saying the opposite, which is that sweeteners will feed the bad bacteria. So just be aware and be careful. And and swap where possible for honey while also like don't don't go crazy on the honey. It's still still not like don't eat a jar of honey with a spoon. It's not don't don't be a um a Winnie the Pooh. Right, exactly. That is not going to be helpful from a from a gut bacteria perspective. Awesome. Well, I hope that we have slayed this question. I love I love love that we've addressed both all wonderful things about it as well as how can it, how it can be problematic. So kind of a, a one place for all this information. If you have someone who uh, is in your life and doesn't understand why you're putting packets of vital proteins in your coffee when you have breakfast <laughs> with them, refer them to this podcast. If you have, if you know someone in your life who could benefit from um, adding collagen, this could be a place a great place to do it. As always, if you enjoyed the show, your reviews are incredibly helpful in sharing this with us, uh, in sharing this with other people. (laughs) And the other thing is, while we always love for you to shop the links on the sidebars of our blogs, don't forget that we have gotten you a custom link. If you are interested in any of the Vital Protein's products that we've talked about this evening at vitalproteins.com slash the paleo view. Let us know what you think. Um, this is kind of a, a new venture for us. Sarah and I have been doing this podcast for so long. Almost six like, years. Neither one of us had gray hair when we started. And oh, so much gray hair. <laughs> and, um, you know, we've tried really hard to make it a podcast that adds value to your life with content and entertainment. And um, it's just kind of come to a point where we're like, hey, we could we could help our listeners and monetize the podcast a little bit. So we aim to stay within the goals of the show that we have always had, um, which is to have fun with you all and share information. But we know that as the wonderful listeners that you are, you will understand that um, it takes money to host the podcast and have team members uh, produce the podcast and create graphics and all that kind of stuff. And so we're hoping that this will help with some of those costs. And we super appreciate everything that you do to support us, whether it's shopping through links in the podcast that we can now share with you as we work more with brands to bring you great offers like this, or if it's shopping off of links from our websites or subscribing to our newsletters or buying our books, um, all of the ways that you support us, we, we see it and we super appreciate it. So thank you. And we'll be back next week. Absolutely. Have a wonderful week, everybody. Thank you for listening to The Paleo View. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal. So I introduced my kids to Walt and Gromit this week. Yeah? 
and she's made me think of it. And it was pretty amazing. I mean, I'm feeling like it's pretty nerdy to say that Wallace and Gromit are amazing, but I'm just going <laughs> to let you have that. I I just, so I think it was just a really special moment to see them laughing so hysterically. And like, I introduced them to like the original television episodes and they were like, like bent over double laughing so hard. And I was like, this is great. This makes me happy in my heart. It's awesome. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. <laughs> 